0: Listen, the enemy is a liar and our enemy is a liar. As a matter of fact, Jesus told us about him in John chapter 8, verse 44. He says, you are of your father, the devil. He was speaking to a bunch of religious people. You are of your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You know what Jesus was saying? He lies because he is a liar. It's all he can do. And it's his number one weapon to try to stop the onward progress of you and your family in
1: relationship to God. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. What would you do if I told you that I can make you wealthy beyond belief if you just followed my simple three-step plan? Well, you'd probably reach for the dial, or you might Google my name to see if others have been duped by this get-rich-quick scam artist. Well, as you know, Whole websites exist whose sole purpose is to help people sort out truth from legend. What's real from what's a lie. The fact is, we all listen to lies a lot more than we realize. In the Old Testament, Joshua got tricked by lies from the enemy. And that's what Pastor Trent is teaching about today. As we continue our look at the book of Joshua, here's Pastor Trent.
0: Let me invite you to open your Bible And uh, get it open to Joshua chapter 9. If you've been with us over the last 10 weeks, we've been walking verse by verse through the book of Joshua. We've entitled this series, Onward, and we're learning that the direction of the Christian life is always what? Onward. Onward. I'm curious. Does it just seem like something is against you? Well, there is. You have an enemy. Let me introduce to you what we're going to study here from Joshua chapter 9 this morning. The big idea is this. When you meet the enemy, don't let his lies deceive you into compromising your obedience to God. You have an enemy. His number one weapon against you is a lie. And if you believe that lie, your onward progress will stop with God. However... If you have committed to fill your mind, your heart, and your life with truth, there is not a weapon formed against you that will stand. No lie will be able to stop your onward progress. How many of you ever feel like you've ever been lied to? You ever been lied to? You ever found out somebody told you something that wasn't true? Let me tell you a story of something that happened a couple of months ago. My mother, who lives in Oklahoma, my mother called me, And she said, Trent, Zach, my son, her grandson, she said, Zach went to Mexico last weekend with some friends. He was in a car that got pulled over by the Mexican police. Zach wasn't doing anything wrong, but they found drug paraphernalia in the car. I just got off the phone with Zach he is in a Mexican prison and he needs $8,000 to get out of prison and make his way back home. How would you have reacted to that? My son is in a Mexican prison? Why didn't Zach call me? Why did he call his grandmother? And uh, a mom, I'm pretty sure Zach is in Cedarville, Ohio this weekend and I'm pretty sure that he's not in Mexico. You, you know what happened, right? Some scammers, some deceivers, some liars called a sympathetic grandmother and laid out this story to try to extort money from grandma because she loved her grandson. It was a lie and it was deceitful. Now, do, do you understand the level of anger I had towards someone who was using my son as leverage against my mother to get something from her. Well, it wasn't true, of course. At least, I don't think it's true. If anybody has any information on Zach's whereabouts, let me know. But I'm pretty sure that whole scenario didn't happen. But it was a lie. And so often, we believe those lies, and it creates a compromising position for us, and it stops our onward progress with God. So we're going to see three realities from this passage here. Let's begin reading. I'll give you the first point as we jump into it. The enemy is real. Let's see it here in Joshua chapter 9, verse 1. Joshua's enemies were a little different than ours. It says here in verse one, as soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, here they are, the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites heard of this. And so there's this collected group of people who've been watching the onward progress of God's people and those people got together and they said, "Uh uh-oh, we're next. And so they formed an alliance in verse 2. They gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. Joshua and God's people had a real enemy. Now Joshua could actually physically see those enemies. He could do hand-to-hand combat with them because they were physical enemies. Aren't you glad you don't live in Joshua's day? You didn't have to fight those battles? Well, you still have a battle to fight and there are still real enemies that are fighting against the people of God. If you have faced any resistance in your onward progress toward God, it's probably because you have met three enemies of the Christian uh, individual. And the church of Jesus Christ faces these three. You want to, you, do you wanna know what they are? Can we just kind of identify? Can we expose the lies of the enemy here this morning? Here's the first one, the world. Jesus prayed for you and I to withstand the attack of the world in John chapter 17, verse 14. He said this, I have given them your word. That's our number one weapon, the truth of God's word to combat the lies of the enemy. He says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. So we need to define what this thing is called the world. Now, when he's talking about the world, he's not talking about planet Earth. He's not talking about things physically that we can see and lay our hands on. He's talking about a worldview or a world system that stands against God's truth. Those of us that are in Christ, those of us that have given our hearts and our lives and our allegiance to Jesus Christ, we have given him the right to form our values and form the way that we view the world. And yet those that stand outside of Christ see things a little differently, don't they? And this world system, sometimes it shows up in politics, sometimes it shows up in education, sometimes it shows up in entertainment. It's almost as if you were to jump in a river. I remember when I was about 12 years old, I was hanging out with some buddies. There'd been some flooding in our area and yet there was this wonderful creek that ran through our town and we got some inner tubes and we jumped on those things and we went from one side of town to the other side. But I remember one time my inner tube got kind of caught on a tree limb and I was stuck and I couldn't move. I needed to go back up river in order to get back down. I couldn't move back up because the current was so strong. That's exactly what you face. You are swimming upstream and all the current is going the other direction. The good news is this. Jesus has prayed for you and he's given you his word so that you can move onward even in the face of the opposition of the world. And listen, don't be surprised when you are hated by the world. If you are a Christian, you are not going to win popularity contest in this world. You're not going to be voted most popular in your school or your business. If you stand for Christ, mark it down. You will be hated. Here's the second enemy. It is called the flesh. And again, we're reading in the New Testament about the enemies that you and I face in our battle to move onward in the Christian life. 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us about the flesh. He says, Beloved, I am urge you as sojourners and exiles. Great words. It goes back to what we understand about our enemy, the world. We are sojourners in the world. We're exiles in this world. This world is not our home. We are living temporarily in a land that doesn't belong to us. But even as sojourners and exiles, notice what he says. We've got a second enemy. While you're battling the world, you've also got to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul." You see, our battle is not with Hittites and Jebusites. Our battle is with ourselves. We have an appetite, if you were a Christian, you have an appetite to please God and to obey God, and yet at the same time we have that desire, so often we fall and we're defeated by the appetites of our flesh. What is the flesh? It's not just skin and flesh and, and muscle and sinew. Our flesh is a bent. You know, in those days, remember a long time ago when it used to snow in Michigan back in the winter? You remember, remember those ruts that would form in the road? You know, there'd just be these two ruts where all the cars had gone, and it made it difficult to get out of the rut. Our flesh is the residual sin nature in us that has run ruts across our lives. It's habit patterns, it's formed in in thoughts of ways of thinking that are not in line with Christ, and it's so hard to jerk ourselves out of it. So often it has to do with our appetites, even physically that appeal to our senses, things that we feel or see or smell or touch or taste. I have a continual war with Krispy Kreme donuts. And uh, that—and and anybody with me there? And, and anybody losing the battle there? And, and, and all these different things that appeal to us. And you know what the flesh does? The flesh turns good things into God things, with little g's. There's nothing wrong with a Krispy Kreme donut. I need an amen. There is nothing wrong with a Krispy Kreme donut, right? There is something wrong with eating a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts in one setting, right? So if you turn a Krispy Kreme donut into a God, then all of a sudden you're worshiping that which is created rather than the creator that created the donut. And that's what our flesh so often does. It wants to get our eyes off of things that should please us in God and our Hearts get wrapped around things that He's created for our pleasure, but not to be God. So that's our second enemy. Anybody face any battles with the flesh this week? Yeah, well, you've got another one. Not only the world, not only the flesh. Anybody know this one? You know what's coming, right? What is it? The devil. The devil. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Keep your head on a swivel. That means there is a real enemy that we need to know where he's coming from. He says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he is not to be joked about. He is not to be made fun of. He is a serious, formidable foe. Now, these three enemies have gathered together as one to fight against you. Just as we saw in verse two, that the enemies in Canaan had gathered together as one to fight against Joshua. These three enemies have gathered together against you to stop your onward progress toward God. The Bible describes Satan as the prince of this world who opposes God and lies to you to appeal to the appetites of your flesh. That's how they've gathered together and aligned themselves against you. We need to be aware of them. The Bible says, I don't want you to be ignorant of his devices. He's a schemer. As a matter of fact, that's what we're going to learn next. The enemy is a liar. Let's see it here back in Joshua chapter 9. Look at verse 3. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon... Okay, this is, a, this is a new city, a new enemy. Notice, Gibeon did not align with all those other Hivites and Termites and Amorites and all those different people. It, Gibe, Gibeon said, we've got a different strategy. If we're going to survive, the way we're going to survive is not by winning through fighting. We want to win through lying. Watch what happened. It says, but when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ahi, anybody remember what happened to Jericho and Ahi? Um, Total destruction, right? They thought, hmm, we don't want to be the next on the list to lose these battles. So in verse 4, it says, They, on their part, acted with cunning. Underline the word cunning there. The word cunning means crafty or clever or wily or tricky. Or if you're under 30, sketchy. (laughs) The word actually means strategic. This was a well thought through battle plan that they were going to use. If you have the NIV, it says they resorted to a ruse, which means this was this was a very thought out strategy to win the battle. It says they were cunning and they went and they made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins and worn out and torn and mended with worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out sounds like your wardrobe right worn out clothes and all their provisions were provisions were dry and crumbly do you see what they were trying to do they were trying to convince Joshua and Israel that they weren't a threat Let me show you what they did. Again, keep reading. Look at what it says in verse 6. And they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal, and they said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country. So now make a covenant with us. And the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? And they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua wisely said, who are you? and where did you come from? And they said to him, from a very distant country, from such a long, long way away. I mean, why else would our clothes be so worn out? And why would our bread be crumbling? Because it was fresh when we took it out of the oven and we started our journey, but now look, it's just all stale. It was a very well-conceived strategy to try to deceive and to lie. It says, because the name of the Lord your God, they even dropped names. The name of, Don't they sound so religious? They might even be aligned with us. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt. They'd done their homework and they knew the history of, of where these people had come from and they used religious language to try to deceive them. Listen, the enemy is a liar and our enemy is a liar. You know what Joshua should have said as soon as they said, we're we come such a long, long way away. If Joshua was wise, he was a liar, liar, pants on fire. You are not. You're here to defeat us. But they were in the process of being deceived. Our enemy is a liar as well. As a matter of fact, Jesus told us about him in John chapter 8, verse 44. He says, you are of your father, the devil. He was speaking to a bunch of religious people. They had a form of religion. They denied the power of that religion. And Jesus went right to the heart, you are of your father the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. You know what Jesus was saying? He's not a liar because he lies, He lies because he is a liar. It's all he can do. It's his character. It's his nature. It's his number one weapon to try to stop the onward progress of you and your family in relationship to God. Paul was so concerned about the strategy of the devil in the church, writing to the Corinthians. You know how messed up the Corinthian church was? He goes back and says, here's my fear for the church. I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, sound familiar? By his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I am looking into the faces of people whose heart's desire is to love Christ to worship Christ, to obey Christ. But every week you leave this place and you don't because you are believing lies of your enemy. And you've been deceived into thinking that if you do it his way, life will turn out better. And you come back in the next week and and you're guilty, and you feel ashamed, and you're afraid, and you're defeated, and you didn't make any onward progress, and you say, I just don't know why I can't live the Christian life. It's because you're listening to lies, and you're not filling your mind with the truth. Paul went on to say to the Corinthians, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of Christ righteousness. Who are the servants of Satan? Well, you have to understand the the background here. If you read in Ezekiel chapter 14 and Isaiah chapter 28, um, you find out the history of Satan. Satan was not created as this evil monster that we think of him as. He was created as an angel in heaven He was the worship leader in heaven. But you know what happened? He got proud and instead of directing all the praise and all the attention to God, he wanted some of it for himself. And so he led a rebellion against God and he was able to influence a third of the angels to come with him. You don't think that you're more powerful than an angel, do you? He was able to deceive the angels to come with him and God kicked him out of heaven and he cast him to a very specific spot in the universe. How many stars, how many galaxies, how many planets are there out there? Hundreds of billions. And the place that God chose to put Satan when he cast him out of heaven was planet Earth. Now, if I was God, that is not an announcement. If I was God, I would have chosen a much more distant planet for him to reside, a very hot planet for him to... But for some reason, God put him right on the surface of the Earth. Do you know what that means? That your enemy occupies the same geographical territory as you and your children. And do you know what he's doing today on planet Earth? He's doing the same thing he was doing on the day he was kicked out of heaven. He's leading a rebellion against God, and he's trying to influence you to come with him. And he disguises himself as an angel of light, beautiful, charming, funny winsome extrovert rich powerful and he wants you to come with him that's his disguise and sometimes he disguises himself as a boyfriend or a girlfriend sometimes he disguises himself as a preacher or a church sometimes he disguises himself as a romantic comedy to get you to laugh at things that actually break the heart of god Sometimes he, uh, he disguises himself as a witty professor that gets you to trust him and to respect him, and to believe what he has to say. He wouldn't lie to you so that he can put in your mind a philosophy that is counter to the truth of God's word. Satan disguises himself. He doesn't show up in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork. He wants you... To believe he really has your best interest in mind. It's exactly what happened to Joshua. Joshua was deceived by this enemy that was trying to convince him we are not a threat. There's five lies I want you to see here from this passage, because Satan is still using them today. Here's the first one disobedience is harmless. And that's what these Gibeonites were trying to convince Joshua of. The enemy wants to present himself to you as harmless. They were saying, look how frail we are. I mean, we're just a bunch of vagabonds, and and we're not some big army trying to take you down. We're no match for you. You're so strong, and you're so powerful. You would defeat us if we tried to fight you. We don't want to fight you. We want to be friends. And we've come from such a long, long way away... The consequences of dealing with us are so, are so far off. Nothing's gonna happen to you. There will be no harm caused in being friends with us. The enemy doesn't want you to know his true identity. We're not a threat. We're just a bunch of innocent, itty bitty, teeny weeny people. We just wanna be friends. The enemy does, he, he wants to win you over with charm. Can't you see how hard we've tried to be friends and, and 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 don't you don't you feel sorry for us? I mean, everybody else is so cruel and mean and hateful and bigoted and and they, they just want to destroy us, but you're not like that at all. You're so loving and tolerant and nice. not like those rigid, legalistic people that just want to keep all the rules. Those are the lies that Satan tries to convince you that there's no consequences or the consequences are so far off that there's no threat. We're charmed into thinking something so nice, something so funny, something so wonderful wouldn't deliver something that could be so devastating. Here's the truth. We need to replace the lie with the truth. The truth is this. Disobedience is devastating. It stops your progress with God. That's why some of you are not moving on with God. It's because you're playing around with things that are designed to defeat you. Here's the second lie. The fight isn't worth the effort. Notice in verse 6, they say, we want to make a covenant with you. We want to make peace. We want to be friends. I mean... You see all the worn out clothes and the worn out sandals. We're so worn out. We're we're so worn out. We don't want to fight anymore. Aren't Aren't you worn out too? I mean, you've already had this strong battle with Jericho and this battle with AI, and you've been fighting so long. And don't you just kind of want to take a break? You want to sit this one out? Let's not fight. Let's just be friends. And that's that's a lie that the enemy wants to tell you, that the Christian life is so hard, resisting temptation, obeying God is so hard, it's not worth the fight. The truth is this. Every square inch of onward progress in the spiritual life is a battle fought by faith. Were you expecting the Christian life to be easy? The crosshairs of your enemy have landed on you. And the only way you go onward with God, the only way you glorify God, the only way that you leave a legacy to your children, the only way you enjoy the good gifts God wants to give you is by fighting against the strategy of
1: the enemy. Well, the enemy's tricks and schemes seem subtle until we recognize them for what they really are, lies. Pastor Trent Griffith has been pointing out some of the lies that Satan tries to get us to believe. Today we heard the first two lies, disobedience is harmless, and the fight isn't worth the effort. We'll hear the rest of the list of lies next week. If you can identify with those kinds of thoughts, remember to counter the lies of the enemy with the truth of God's word. Read your Bible, ask God to help you fight wrong thinking and attend church where the word of God is faithfully taught and where you can reach out and get the help that you need in the context of community. Remember this, battles are never very successful when they're fought alone. If you're looking for a church home, we think Harvest Bible Chapel is just the place for you. We meet every week on two different campuses in Granger, Indiana and St. Joseph, Michigan. It would be great to have you join us for a worship service. You can visit our website for service times and campus locations. Our web address is harvestgranger.org. Again, that's harvestgranger.org. Well, have you ever been tempted to compromise? Obedience can be really hard, and it's easy to want to give in and make peace with the enemy. Next week, Pastor Trent continues his message on exposing the lies of the enemy, and I hope you'll join us then. Well, I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.